Nancy Richards. Let's have a literature where we look at books and reading and writing and stories and terrible stories coming out of the news. That awful, awful situation in Tunisia. I feel so sorry for all the people who are there who say that they're just peace-loving people. It's just it's scary. Well, what we've got coming up in the, in the second hour here on SFM Literature, book two, the letters that we referred to in a book called Everyday Matters. It's a book by Margaret J. Damon, who's put together a, a wonderful compilation of the letters of Dora Taylor, Bessie Head and Lillian Ngoy, and we'll be chatting to her in just a minute. In our bookshelf feature, we're going to be getting a recommended title from Niku Masangu, finding out what he's reading now. And then in our story feature, it's me who's going to be taking you on a bit of a trip on the coast, up the coast, around the coast, with Tasting Hermanus to get you a bit of the flavour of the recent Fane Arts Festival there. So that's what we've got lined up. Hope you're going to stay with us, and don't forget, if you want to join in, 0891 or if you want to get in touch with us at any stage, you can. It's books at safm.co.za, books at safm.co.za. Well, it's a real collector's item of a book that we have now. It's called Everyday Matters, and as I say, a collection of the selected letters of Dora Taylor, Bessie Head, and Lillian Ngoy. We'll be finding out exactly who they are if you're not sure, so do stay with us. But the reason that I think that it's so significant is not just because it shines a light into the, the lives, the behind-the-scenes lives, the domestic lives of these women, but because when people write letters, they generally reveal a whole lot more about themselves than if they were to do, be writing something formally. And about these women, there is really so very much more to know. Um, so uh, we have the editor who's done a very, very careful job. She's on the line. She's Margaret Damon. She's a professor, emeritus professor of the English Department of the University of KwaZulu-Natal. Hi, Margaret. How lovely to have you with us. Thank you, Nancy. It's lovely to talk to you. Well, this is really uh, an epic of a book which which represents so much, so many years, so much time, because these uh, these three women, each and each and every one, have written over a different period of time. But you yourself must have taken a very long time putting this book together. Uh, <laughs> how long did it take? Let's start uh, with the well, I, I worked piecemeal on it, and. Um, I suppose if I add, add it all up, it must come to about four years in total. Mm-hmm. Yes, I yes. suppose, I mean, whether or not one can measure, measure time that it takes to write a book, because sometimes it feels like it takes a lifetime to write a book. But <laughs> these women yes. have all yes. written letters, in some cases, actual, they've written books as well. Dora Taylor, Bessie Head, Lillian Ngoy, tell us a little bit about each one of them. Um, well, Lillian Ngoy is probably best known in political circles. She was uh, most active in the 1950s, and she had a meteoric rise from her work in uh, trade union circles into the ANC. Um, very soon after she joined the ANC, she was elected onto its national committee, and she became the first woman onto the national, elected onto the national executive of the ANC. And today she is best remembered as um, one of the organizers of the Women's, Women's March, March to Pretoria in 1956, when 200,000 women marched to protest against the extension of passes to women. Um, and she was the one who suggested when the Prime Minister failed to turn up to receive the petition that they were delivering, that the women should stand in silence 
at the Union buildings, as they were known then. And then at the end of 30 Minutes Silence, they all sang together in Kosi Sekelele. So um, that, that is how Lillian and Goy is best known. The letters that I've got were written sometime after that. She was banned um, from 19, in the 1960s, the early 1960s, and the letters begin in 1971 um, when, <clears throat> when her circumstances were very bad indeed. She'd been unable to work for a good 10 years, so she was living in poverty and times were extremely hard for her. Yes, absolutely. And I think during that time, her home, I'm quoting your book here, her home became a prison. Yes, that's mm-hmm. right. That's right. Because under her banning orders, she wasn't able to receive people. She was restricted to the area of her home. And if it hadn't been for people like um, um, Belinda Allen, to whom she was writing, um, she wouldn't. she would barely have survived at all. Belinda Allen was a member of Amnesty International and began corresponding with her because she was asked to send um, Lillian a monthly sum of money. And what began as a very formal exchange between the two women soon developed into a personal friendship. And so the letters reveal this growing affinity between them and and how it developed into a strong and quite deep feeling of friendship between them. Yes, and one of the things that struck me about the book is just how much letters do reveal, because, you know, once somebody's writing a letter, they're writing to another person, so they're sort of removing their own, um, you know, self-consciousness, I suppose, out of the out of the equation. It's, it's a wonderful thing, writing letters, a, a comfort to receive, but also a huge uh, release, relief to write. So yes, that's Lillian. So. We'll come back to Lillian. Uh, yes. Let's go to Dora Taylor. Tell us about her. Yes, Dora is probably uh, likely to be the least known mm. of the three women I've chosen. Dora was actually born in Scotland and um, married Jim Taylor, who had um, taken a job in the psychology department at the University of Cape Town and so she emigrated with him to Cape Town um, in the uh, late 20s, 1920s, and um, they were both uh, socialists, and soon after arriving in Cape Town, joined the local um, uh, socialist circles, and through a membership of those circles, Dora got involved with um, groups of like-minded people, um, and amongst those people, she met a man called I.B. Tabata. He was a Tulsa intellectual, and through him, she w- she became involved in the national in the um, non-European unity movement. She became its unofficial secretary. She couldn't take um, the office publicly because she was a white woman and, and uh, was not allowed to hold an office of that kind. But she became deeply involved in its activities. And really, um, that kind of work took over her whole life. Um, and she, she taught on behalf of the unity movement. She gave public lectures. She wrote a great deal about literature. Um, she published in a magazine called Trek. 
She wrote in the newspapers of the day. So there's a wealth of material published under her name, sometimes published under pseudonyms. And she also wrote two novels and a collection of short stories. These were not published in her lifetime, but thanks to the efforts of her daughter, Sheila Belshaw, they were published about five years ago, published by Penguin. So she is um, an acknowledged writer, and um, her letters came about, uh, or the ones I selected for publication, came about when she found that um, because of her own political commitments, she was going to have to um, leave the country and go into exile because um, following the Sharpeville massacre, the government cracked down on um, people with political involvement, political activists, um, was making life simply too dangerous for her and her husband um, to, to consider continuing living in South Africa. Mm. Yes, hers is a very different story. And Bessie Head, um, I think, is, is probably the closest to your heart. <laughs> well, certainly, because my, my work has always been in literature, and she is um, a wonderful writer um, of fiction. And my, my own work with her began in the early 90s. So, so she's been part of my life for a very long time. And I've always known her as um, an absolutely fabulous letter writer. She, um, she, she's probably one of the great letter writers of this continent, if not in the world. And um, when, when I was looking to put the book together, um, she was one of the people who came to mind first of all. Um, she, she, like Dora Taylor, is writing her letters from exile. She left the country, she left South Africa in the 60s because she felt it was just not a place where she could ever fulfill her dream of becoming a writer. And she settled in Botswana. And because she was um, living such a solitary life there, she developed her life through correspondence, through letters. And so um, we're, we're extremely fortunate that today in, in Saroe, in Botswana, there is this absolutely wonderful archive of her correspondence, her lifelong correspondence with some 300 people. Mm. It's just extraordinary. And she yes. developed she developed um, all sorts of things through her writing, but also I suppose just looking at some of the uh, some of the letters, it's a way of developing your own thoughts because when you actually have to write it down, you have yes. to think about what it is that you're really feeling. Yes, That's what makes absolutely. Them so, mm. And and she uh, Bessie had kept copies of everything she wrote and everything she received because letters were a kind of um, life work. Uh, uh, um, a journal, a, a, a notebook for for her own writing, and um, anyone reading the letters that I've chosen for this book will see that she's um, working on one of the novels called A Question of Power, and there is a, a great deal about um, how she went about that novel and why she wrote it in the letters in 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 the book called Everyday Matters. Um, so anyone interested in how a novel gets written can learn a great deal about that um, from her letters in the book. But, but her letters also show 
that she had a passionate interest in gardening, yes. um, in, in, um, in her child and his development, in what he read and what they enjoyed reading together, in her relationships with other women in the village where she lived. Um, so that, um, you know, everyday matters really is the subject of, of her letters too. Yeah, funny you mentioned gardening because I'm just looking at one of the letters here dated 10th of November 1970. The bush marrow is in the garden and the sunflower seeds have germinated. I put them among other things. It's difficult <laughs> to get the broccoli growing. Yes. <laughs> and yes. she goes on to say, I notice that should one belch after a meal containing marjoram, one is very presently reminded of one's dinner and the afternoon and surroundings are unusually happy those days. <laughs> it's, it's lovely. But the actual physical act of writing letters, in, or in the case of all three of them, is also it's something that you focused on. You've been very, um, very, very careful about how you've edited them, so you've retained their voice. But in the case of Bessie Head, you've said whether they're handwritten, on air letters, or, or typed. Yes. Is that quite important, that you know the actual presentation of the letter? Uh, yes, it, it's always a difficult decision with letters. You, you know, you have to make them easy for um, a reader today to read them, but you also have to find ways of letting that reader know that they are reading a letter, um, mistakes and all, so, so that uh, you, you have to try and give today's reader a feeling of the immediacy of the letter and, and of what the original a receiver of that letter would have seen, would have had in his or her hands at the time. And, and that um, original reader is a very important component of what it's like to read letters today. You, you, so that when you're reading the letters in the book, you have to remember that it's actually a, a three-way process that's going on. Yeah. It's the letter writer the original receiver of the letter, and you reading those letters today. Yeah, and just the ins and outs, you know, the outs. I mean, I think in one of, uh, one of Dora's, she says, all love your mummy. Yes. And, and Bessie just signs off, Bessie. Yes. And Lillian says, thanks, dear, Lillian. It's just, so, it's just so warm and appealing. Just let's talk a little bit about Lillian and Goy, because one of the things that I think for her... The letters were so important because it was an opportunity for her to actually have her voice heard. You know, there she was in the silence of this imprisonment um, yes. in, her, in her banning. So even more important, there's one letter that she writes um, at great length. She writes a sort of a, almost autobiographically. Yes, and that, that was done at the suggestion of Belinda Allen because the, um, the group in New York, um, the Amnesty International group to which Belinda belonged, wanted to try and make the plight of people like Lillian and Goy known. So they suggested that Lillian write autobiographically. And Lillian was very keen on this. But in, in the end, that letter did not get published in the newspaper because they felt that it would expose Lillian to the authorities and that she might be persecuted as a result of it. So that, that um, my book is actually the first time in which this letter is, <clears throat> excuse me, is published in its entirety. Um, it, it's clear that, that, that historians have looked at that letter um, and have taken bits from it. But uh, Lillian's own sense of her life and how it developed 
is, uh, it's coming through for the first time yeah. in this book. And the extraordinary thing about it is that she starts off, as it were, writing a biography, and then it, it ends up sounding like a letter. Yes. Margaret, we are talking to Margaret Damon. She's put together a book called Everyday Matters, The Selected Letters of Dora Taylor, Bessie Head, and Lillian Ngoy. Margaret, we'll be back with you just in a minute. Wait, before throwing away that plastic milk bottle, consider this. More than 47,000 South Africans found an informal form of income and employment thanks to the 316,000 tons of plastics that were collected and recycled last year. Plastics, too valuable to waste. Reduce, reuse and recycle your plastics and give someone hope for the future. This message was brought to you by Plastics SA. This Sunday, focus gets to the bottom of the Omar al-Bashir crisis. Should the Sudanese leader have been allowed entry to South Africa? Was the rule of law violated when a court order for his arrest was ignored? Were the lives of South African soldiers in Darfur endangered? Experts discuss the pros and cons of al-Bashir's South African stopover. Focus, incisive and insightful. This Sunday evening at 7pm, only on SABC3. It's time for one of the biggest soccer derbies in the world, the Carling Black Label Cup featuring the two giants, Orlando Pirates and Kaiser Chiefs. Catch all the action in your language live on SABC One and all our radio stations on the 1st of August from 2pm. SABC Sport for the Love of the Game, Waza Uzo Babona. You're listening to SFM Literature here on SFM, and we're talking to uh, Emeritus Professor M.J. Damon, otherwise known as Margaret Damon. She's put together a really, really wonderful book, touching on so many different levels. Margaret, coming back to the issue of letters in general, one of the things that's also striking about the letters is that, you know, they're dated, whatever it is, 6th of November 1985, and... There are questions in them, you know, so what do you think of this, my dear? And then it would only be much later that they would get a response. You know, the time frame in letters in those days just made things very different. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Yes, I do. Yes. And, and um, the, the, the pressure of time is, is felt in many ways in these letters. For example, in Dora Taylor's letters, where she's uh, writing to Sheila about the sale of her house. You know, once she decided that she couldn't uh, live in Cape Town any longer, the house had to be shut down and uh, all its contents sold. She, she normally wrote to Sheila once a month. Now she's writing weekly and she's sending instructions and queries. And you can feel in each letter her anxiety growing as she sends questions about what's happening and who's doing what. And, and you wish, as, as you read these questions piling up one on each other, you, you wish that she had recourse to email uh, and, and, you know, our modern contrivances for quick, quick communication as, as she waits impatiently to know what's happening at the other end of her letters. Yes, yes, it's heartbreaking. I see the one here where underneath Love from Mummy, in the margin, it says, is it all right cashing an SA check in NR? Uh, <laughs> I think, had, how long did she wait to get the response to that? It, um, well, normally it took about a week each way. Um, but, but, of course, the, po- the post was not always reliable. So um, you, you can see that she kept careful track of each letter. She would enter in her own diary when she'd posted a letter and when she received a reply to it. And at the beginning of each letter, she usually indicates which, to which letter she is replying. 
so that Sheila can keep track of of um, what she's answering and what still needs to be uh, recorded and so on. The miracle is that all these letters have survived, particularly perhaps in the case of Lillian and Goy. I, I, I mean, I, don't, I just I can't imagine who was looking after them, who was keeping them, who meticulously filed them. Was it you? How did these letters... No, the, 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 that story is rather wonderful, actually. The, um, Belinda Allen kept those letters, knowing that uh, Lillian and Goy was an important person. And then at some point, I don't know exactly when, she mentioned to an American professor of history who had uh, called Gail Gerhardt, who had an interest in South Africa, that she had these letters and she wondered what to do with them. And so Gail advised her to give them to um, the uh, archives at Witts University. And in due course, they were deposited there. I knew nothing about this, and, but I was, uh, in about 2003, I think it was, I was in that archive just checking on what they had in the way of writing, early writing by women. And I got... Um, chatting, or I suppose I should say whispering to the woman sitting next to me about what I was doing. And she said to me, um, she was working on Helen Joseph at the time, and she said to me, oh, well, if you're interested in letters, have you come across the letters by Lillian and Goy? And I jumped off my chair because I had no idea that there was such thing. And, and um, the very next day I got them out of the file and read them and was absolutely thrilled by them and uh, did a piece of scholarly work on them, but at the same time decided that somehow uh, they had to see the light of day for the general public and tucked it away at the back of my mind and then thought, now I must find, that they were too little to, to make a book in their own right, but thought if I could find other letter writers to go with them, I would do so. So over the years I began thinking and talking about this idea and then other other friends came forward and helped me uh, with ideas of who might who else might go in the book I suppose it's very easy to just mourn the fact that we don't have letters anymore for this very reason, all the things that we've discussed just now, but I suppose the time is right when the time is right now, people can not only sort of access emails sort of pretty much instantly but they can publish things pretty much instantly you know, we've got blogs and all sorts of other things, but yes. I'd just like to close with Bessie, uh, you know you knew a lot about Bessie, a lot is known about Bessie, there have been books and plays and all sorts of things, but yes. th- this domestic aspect, has it I suppose for all of them, really, the domestic aspect, has it thrown a, a different sort of light on their lives? Domestic life, does it show a difference between then and now? No, um, you know, do we know something more about them through this sort of domestic, this intimacy that we get through letter writing as opposed to any other sort of writing? That's a difficult question. I, I think... Um Yes, you, you know, I've, I've seen some people's responses to these letters and other letters that they are rather mundane and repetitive and the word, even a word like boring kind of hovers over people's responses to these letters. And, and I think um, there's a, a tendency to undervalue the everyday 
when it gets into the public realm, the public sphere. People want something that they consider more important, more more headline making. Um, I'm not quite answering your yeah, question no, no, of whether no, we know more I, about it or not. I hear where you're going, and I suppose what I really want to say is it's usually the stuff that gets left out of the history books, because what we hear in history is yeah. all the big stuff, the power struggles, all those sort of things, you know, what's going on politically speaking, but it's all the, the niceties of who's growing what in their garden yes. that actually is sometimes as important. Yes, that's right. And there is, there is a corresponding movement in scholarship now to say that, that the, the broad outlines of history can be positively misleading because they make us forget all those little matters, like how complex life can be and how bound up it can be. So that, for example, when we look back on the apartheid years, we tend to see it simply as a dichotomy between white life and black life. And in fact, from day to day, lives were intimately bound up with each other in a complex way. And, and we need to be able to be, we need to be able to recover that. And things like letters help us to do that without a doubt. They certainly do. It's called Everyday Matters, Selected Letters of Dora Taylor, Bessie Head and Lillian Goy, edited by Margaret Damon. Margaret, it's been a pleasure, a pleasure to talk and a pleasure to read. Thank you very much for your time. Very best of luck. And thank you, Nancy. Take care. Margaret Damon, uh, once again, the book Everyday Matters, it's published by Jukana. Really lovely book, a real collector's item, I would say.